Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And joining me today from Baltimore, Maryland, is Michael Green, who is the co-owner of Quick Cash Homebuyers. He's also the host of a, a podcast called The Flip Factor. And over the past 10 years or so, he has flipped more than 1,100 different projects. So welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Awesome to have you. And in, in, in addition to, to all of those things, you've got a you've got a super super interesting story. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your background and, and how you ended up into you know getting into the business of flipping houses. Well, a little bit about me. You know, back when I was a kid, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, and um, I ended up getting in some trouble as a teenager. I think like most of the people that grew up in my neighborhood, kind of getting in trouble was almost. Uh, I think everyone was doing it at some level, just different levels. Uh, me getting in a bunch of trouble always was stemmed from having this entrepreneurial dream, uh, wanting to start a business and wanting to do stuff. And there wasn't a lot of legal ways to do that where I grew up, so I ended up getting in a lot of trouble as a teenager, which. Ended- just ended up being the best thing that could ever happen to me because uh, I ended up getting in trouble and going to prison for a few years as a teenager. And I changed my life in there and started you know, reading amazing books and learning stuff and started to get some great role models, but they weren't human beings. They were books like uh, Think and Grow Rich was a book that was the first book I ever read about motivation. And, and just uh, it was just hearing from someone outside of what I call the hood and the projects where I grew up, where everyone was just talking crazy stuff, nothing, nothing positive, right? A lot of negativity. And uh, I took the opportunity, you know, I got to spend with myself for a little bit of time for being bad. That really changed my life and become a better person. So when I did get out, I, I really took this road of uh, wanting to be an entrepreneurial person. I had to get a job for a while, like most of us. And eventually, I was able to start doing some flooring on my own and start a little small flooring company. And um, that led into me having an opportunity at 32 to, to become a house flipper. And I met this guy when I was doing flooring for him who was flipping a house and I'd always dreamed about it. Love watching the you know flip your house shows and all that. And he just was like, Yeah, I learned it from this guy. Now this was like 10 years ago. So, you know, now there's a guy on every Facebook, you know, page you look at, fifty thousand YouTube videos. There really wasn't a guy back then. Right. There wasn't many people who taught this. Everyone kept it close to the vest. And and this one guy had been doing it about 30 years. And he was one of the first people to pioneer kind of the coaching model and teaching people. And uh, I ended up going to like his little free seminar. Right. And we, probably, we see those all the time now, but they were pretty rare back then. And it was really interesting because everything I had tried uh, just never worked. Like he literally was like, you're probably trying this and this is why it's not working. And, and it was like he was speaking to me. And I realized that I just needed some access to like, you know, the things that work and, and why, you know, how to run a successful house flipping business. So I did end up spending like 15,000 bucks that I did not have. Um, he, one of the first things he showed me how to do, and maybe this was even my first lesson. He showed me how to take credit cards that I had five credit cards. They were all maxed out. He's like, you know, you can call your credit card company and ask for more. And I did and ended up getting about, you know, six, seven thousand dollars in a additional funds that I could get. And I gave that to him as a down payment and made some monthly payments and uh, our coaching relationship started. Um, 
you know, they had a very happy ending, obviously, because here I am 10 years later. But just in five weeks, I was able to find my first deal and wholesale it and make $16,000 and pay off all that debt and keep a thousand for myself. And so it was a big change. I mean, you know, I, I was going in circles for almost a year trying to figure it out on my own. And I'd been dreaming about it for years because that's who I am. I'm the guy that likes reads 30 books before he takes any action. I got to get like 15,000 people to tell me it's going to work before I'll go try. I'm super analytical and I, that's why I love systems and you know, running a business. It's very predictable. And uh, he had a lot of those systems that he had built. And uh, from that, that first year, I was able to do 13 deals and put about 80K in money in the bank um, because what I was doing is I was working full time and I was living on my income from work, but I was saving everything I made from my wholesale deals and a few flips I'd done. And uh, so I now, for the first time in my life, as a kid who grew up eating welfare teas and weird peanut butter and stuff, I have 80,000 bucks in the bank. <laughs> At yeah. that point, I don't think I'd ever had over $10,000 in the bank or something, but so 80,000, I certainly did feel very rich and uh, and that was enough for me to take the jump into doing this full time, which was still one of the most scary things I'd ever done. So, so talk about that. Like um, you mentioned, you're, you're very analytical. You, you, you like to kind of go deep into understanding what it is you're about to get yourself into. How did you how did you get comfortable kind of pulling the trigger on that on that first deal? Right. That zero to one moment for a lot of entrepreneurs is, is you know, the hardest and the one that a lot of people don't actually ever get to. How did you how did you how did you get your mind right there? I'm going to, I'm going to say I got lucky. There was no process to it. I had a friend I played poker with and he was, uh, you know, I'm analytical and I'll think about things forever. And he's the kind of guy jumps into the pool head first when there's no water in it. Right. <laughs> he, he just like, I'm flipping a house and I got some money from a settlement and I'm going to flip a house and I knew nothing about it at all. And I actually just thought about doing it yesterday. So I'm doing it tomorrow. And I'm, I'm like, I've been thinking about it for like six, seven years and reading books and I'm still not writing. And I was like, no, you're crazy. So eventually I said no at first. And then he kept bugging me. And eventually he's like, well, just look at it with me. And he's like, almost like a salesperson, just take it for a ride. See how you right. like it. Right. And eventually I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this with you. I mean, he was even putting all the money up. So there's legitimately no risk for me. That's how analytical I was. And I'm thinking he'll be an awful partner. He's, you know, he knows nothing. And eventually I, you know, he kind of pushed me into it. And it was just, a, I was so lucky to have him because what I realize in life now, who I've had to become is I've had to go, I can't be like him, but I also can't be like I used to be. I had to find that nice middle ground where I still very calculated and I think through things, but I take action. It doesn't take six years. Now I can do it in like maybe six days. I can figure out enough to be safe. And uh, so he pushed me into doing my first deal. And we did end up making uh, 36,000 bucks on it and uh, in you know, $16,000 each. We, we didn't partner again after that because he was actually a train wreck as a partner. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't easy to get along with because he was so impulsive. And I'm, you know, I'm just the opposite. It was like, we were like the odd couple for, for some of the older listener, listeners, you know, we we're just so different. And uh, from there though, I had, I had a, um, I had like what we would call like a, I had a proven test model that had worked and gotten great results. And from there, it was like, I'm talking to someone else at that school. I was still doing the training with my coach for a year. And I met someone, a guy named Jay, and, uh, and me and him started a business uh, right after that. He had about $800,000. And uh, he just loved what I was doing and my passion and systems. He liked the way I thought. And uh, he was able to fund all those deals. And me and him ended up growing a business that at one point in 2016 was our last year together as partners. And uh, we did 150 houses that year. 
you know, and about 100 of those being renovations and about 50 being wholesale deals. And so he loved the way my systematic mind worked, but he had a great business mind. He was great with people. So eventually what was really cool and the reason that we stopped being partners was not a bad thing. He's like a great guy, good friend. Um, he just became more like me and I became more like him and we had what each other brung to the table. Yep. So we're like, yeah, we could do this on our own now, even though we were, we stayed together longer than we should because we loved each other and we were just such great friends and we had so much fun working together. So, so talk to me a little bit about partnerships. I'm sure over the years you've had, you've had quite a few partnerships. It sounds like, um, you know, some have been maybe better than the others. What, what have you learned from, you know, the importance of a partnership? What do you look for in a, in a partnership? Um, and, and maybe more generally, how have, sounds like, you know, good or bad, they've, they've, they've led to some success for you. So like, what can people, you know, learn and think about when they're, when they're thinking about developing partnerships and how important has it been to you and your business, um, you know, getting going? A lot of questions there. Sorry. Take, take, take whichever one you want. <laughs> no, and they're all kind of the same question. I believe they're all in the same category, but, uh, partnerships are really interesting. I find that most people, myself included, we create these partnerships out of insecurity, Certainly could have grown that business myself, but that partner brought me access to something I didn't have. So that's a good partner. When a partner has a very opposite skill set of you and brings stuff to the table that you're just not going to ever be great at because it's not in your DNA, then that's a great partnership. So if you're broke and a partner has money, okay, well, there you go. That's That sounds like a great partnership. Um, if you both got the same skill, then you're just splitting the money and you're making everything harder. So um, I always say you should try to do this on your own first. Now that I've been on my own for three and a half years, I've actually created so much more abundance. And I went from working like 80 hours a week with my old partner. I work like 15 hours a week right now and I'm making more money now than I did with him. And that's not because it was bad. It was just because on my own and understanding that I'm strong enough and powerful enough to have all these skills or learn the skills that he had or I didn't feel like I had at the time. And you know, I just didn't feel like I was enough because you know I'd grown up in a place where we just don't feel as strong as we need to be. No one ever taught me how to be like a strong man and, and take care of a business and you know, be, you know, fight through the hard times. So partnerships are great when one person's bringing something you don't have. And, uh, and I also would say the biggest advice I could give from partnerships now is that me and my partner got married and uh, we just were like, we're exclusive, right? And I think partnerships now, best done are going to be more like uh, dating. Like maybe you're in multiple, like you're maybe you're in an open relationship, you know, where you date multiple partners because you're going to find that you just get along with certain people and they, they, you and them together, like one plus one equals three. But a lot of partnerships, one plus one equals one and a half. And they're really just like they're watering down the business because they're, they're doing it because it's a lot more fun to do this with someone else and it feels a lot better with someone else. Yeah, totally. So, so I want to hit on something that you, you mentioned there a little bit around like your insecurities. And I think, you know, um, we all have our own, you know, call it baggage, if you will. And it sounds like you've, you've had maybe more than maybe most in terms of your, your path to this. Talk to us through like how you overcame that, right? I, I got to imagine even some of your first partnerships, you know, I would imagine you were somewhat transparent with your background. How do you, how do you compensate for that? How do you get people to, to trust you and, and, you know, lean into what you're passionate about and excited about and, and prove to them that you're, you're a worthy partner? Cause we all have this, right. And, and, and mm-hmm. different parts of the spectrum, right. And yours is, I think pretty far up. So you had a lot to overcome. I'd love to understand kind of how you overcame that. 
so for me, it was one of my biggest fears for a long time. That if people knew like I got in trouble and I was kind of not a great kid, they would not really see me for who I had become. You know, sure. someone who is overly honest, overly trusting. I go the extra mile to deliver on any promise I make because I realize that, you know, I have a lot to overcome and the, people might see my background as something like, Oh, I don't want to work with that guy. So I'm, I'm the guy that over delivers now and I've been that guy and I've, I make sure I stay that person every day. And uh, that's the person that when I started to get with my partner, I realized that when you're honest and authentic about this, we're in a great time right now. You just tell people. That's why I never, I don't hide it anymore. I tell people it's part of my journey. It's mm-hmm. part of who I am. And, and when you're honest and authentic about it, surprisingly, most people have been in a similar place, even if it wasn't like prison or, you know, didn't go through the exact same way. They've been through a lot of the like downtimes when they didn't feel like they were enough or they did something they were ashamed of and they had to get, you know, redeem themselves. And so for me, I found that, and and this is a lesson that I did not learn when we were first partners, but over the years of working with them, I realized just, you know, being a super hard worker and uh, really keeping my promise and having honor is like the key to like, this is the fear of when someone hears your backgrounds a little bit like dodgy. It's all about like just everything you tell them you're going to do, do it. And don't overpromise. Like if people start to notice that, they don't care as much about who you are as much as about they see what you do who you say you are, but if they see you're doing every day, you say you'll do this, you say you're going to be an eight, you're at an eight, right? I always made sure that every promise I made, I would just go above and beyond to keep. And I was careful not to make promises that were out of my control. And I would say that's one of the big ways to overcome if you've got something you're insecure about, just, you know, start to live with honor. And, and, you know, if you say you're going to do it, do it. And that's big for ourselves because honestly, it's not only big for a partner, but think of the damage we do with ourselves when we tell ourselves, like, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. And then, and then we don't do it. And we start creating our own patterns. And then now our subconscious knows we're full of crap, right? <laughs> we don't want that. That's when we start creating unhappiness. So it almost starts with, with keeping the promise you make to yourself. Um, and then, you know, thinking of a long game, right? Do small things. Like you said, show up on time. Um, show people you're, it's, 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 it's interesting. You don't have to get them there immediately, right? You gotta, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an effort, I would imagine. Cool. It really was an effort. It didn't happen overnight. So there's, I wish there was a magic thing that happened. I started doing enchantments or anything and it just <laughs> went away. No, it was, it's work, right? It's this constant, never end improvement of yourself. Um, right. Today, I'm 10 years in the game. I've done well over Leonard Flips and I have three coaches I work with, you know, in different parts because I, I'm still on my journey to mastery. Yep. That's awesome. So let's, let's talk about the business. 1100 houses. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of properties in ten years, right? More than more than a hundred hundred a year, if, uh, if I'm doing my math right. So, talk to us a bit about how you scaled things up, right? What are the one or two things that, in your opinion, like that you, you got to get right, right? If if a listeners out there thinking about scaling up their business to to that level. Well, there's really two core things that drive a house flipping business. And one is very overlooked, but I'll start with the one that everyone focuses on. And one is that you have to get great at, you know, generating high quality leads of people that are in the right place and ready to sell their properties, not just people who are like you know, tire kickers or they want 250K when it's worth 200. You got to get great at having a consistent flow of those deals and then having a process for how when those, those leads come in, you work them and you close them at a higher rate than your competitor. Meaning if your competitor's out they're closing one in 25. Like some of the shifts we've made that's made a big difference in the business over the years is uh, how do we go to one in 10? 
Like, what is it we would have to do to really get that great of a result? And the shift that I made from early on is uh, I got taught by a lot of really high-level salespeople that you got to use the double, triple, close technique and all that. It never felt natural. And I realized that even if these techniques are good, they didn't feel right to me. So I started to learn from my partner who was a very naturally outgoing, charismatic person. And he never used any of those techniques. He always, you'd see him falling asleep when we would be doing that training together. But he went in and people loved him. And it's, he's the person that actually, just from watching him, he never really taught it to me, but I watched him and seen how he worked. It's all about building rapport, building trust, building relationships with people. And when you get out and you know how to do that very quickly and they just instantly are like, you know what? I like Matt. Like, man, I just trust Matt. I want to work with him. Well, you start getting more than your fair share of deals. So you need to be able to generate these leads, but then you need a great process for how people are just in general going to like you because people do business with people they like. And, uh, and, and I think it always starts with, you know, the best way to be trust, obviously, is to be trustworthy and obviously, you know, live up to the things you promise and not be, you know, not tell a lot of crazy stories or stuff that's just not true. You know, it's not necessary, right? It comes from a place of insecurity. So that's kind of piece one. That's like the big thing. Have leads and be able to close those leads. Because that every business, the fuel to that business is deals. And good deals, by the way. We've got to get good ones. If you're wholesaling, you're rehabbing, it's the same issue. We always, a lot of people always have problems getting deals. They, most people think it's this market, but those problems existed when I got into the game in 2009 and things were not great. But still, there was plenty of people who couldn't find good deals. It was a little bit easier back then, obviously. Second piece, and I think this is one of the big overlooked pieces, is that if you're going to be a rehabber, then you have to become... Like have a deep understanding, become a construction person, have a deep understanding of it. Because um, I'm hearing so many times I've been taught by coaches that, okay, you need to get a GC. Like, why would you want to get involved in that? Just pay a GC and let them do it. And what I've seen um, through my last three years of traveling the country, really hanging out with a lot of other flippers who've done the kind of volume I've done, I've seen that almost no one who is highly successful at flips is using GCs like fully. What they're doing is what I do. And what I've kind of, we've all come to the same conclusion is we need control over our construction process. Like we need to know like with a fair level of certainty that we're going to put money out and it's going to come back. And that someone's going to, you know, we got 60K to spend on a deal that we only spend 60K, not 80K. And if it got six weeks, it needs to get done somewhere near that six weeks, not four months. Mm -hmm. Because you can't run a business if those things are out of whack. And uh, so I think one of the big misconceptions is, is like at one point we were spending $25,000 a month marketing for new leads, $0 a month marketing for contractors. Mm-hmm. And, and that I realize is one of my big mistakes with my old partner. And what I shifted in my new business is now I actually spend money bringing in talent, making sure I'm bringing in the people that are reliable, trustworthy, and I lead them as their leader. I'm not out in the field with a hammer and I'm not you know, out like with a construction hat and stuff, but um, I've actually taken what I'll call like a bunch of subcontractors and then found some of the talent within that group and then promoted them to be like on-site, kind of call them like an assistant GC, but I'm the GC. I'm still the final decision maker on what layout's going to be best, what products are going to be best, all those things. Because like as a as an owner, I'm going to make those decisions best. And a GC is generally their mission is to to kind of change order you to death and charge you more because they need to be profitable. And, and it's not uncommon for them to tell you sixty and find a way to get seventy from you. You can't run a business if you're ten k off. You know, we really need to nail that number. And uh, so for me, I've made the big shift, and this is where my business has skyrocketed. Was I'm starting to put a lot more of my energy into the construction process and just being good at it. And I also took the reality of like, hey, you know what? Um, I, I have to realize I'm actually in a construction business. I kind of almost have to be like I run a construction company here if I'm going to flip 50 houses a year. Right. Uh, right. I have to be okay with that. 
That's really interesting. That's the first time I've heard someone talk about actually spending money to acquire contractors. So, so how are you doing that? Are you like putting ads out? Like, are you on LinkedIn? Are you like, I'd be super curious. Like what's that, what's that process look like for you? Where, where's a, a good talent pool? So, I mean, uh, and you'd be surprised to hear it's for Craigslist, right? Everybody's like, well, Craigslist, there's a very specific way I do it on Craigslist because you do get, you get a lot of crazy people, but what I'm doing on Craigslist that makes me a little bit different. And this, this came through hard knocks, right? Doing it the wrong way. Um, I used to just put a general out at like, Hey, you want to work for me? I need people. And then I get a million people in. Now I'm very specific. Like I need someone who does demo or I need somebody who specializes in electric. But even more importantly, since I've created standardized pricing and standardized work hours for each job, I know exactly how many hours it should take and I know exactly what it should cost. I don't get estimates anymore. Now I just tell them what I pay and like, hey, if you want to work with me, I standardize these things and I pay X. And and by the way, I learned this from Home Depot and Lowe's. They're kind of big places, obviously. That's how they do business. So why shouldn't we do business that way as uh, someone who's a commercial, you know, construction person or, you know, company? So, and all contractors work that way. They have kind of standardized pricing for how they do things. They just don't have standardized pricing they give to their, their clients you know, you, it's 50,000 to do one job. You do the exact same job. Now it's 70. You just, things go up depending on how busy they are. Oh, thank you, man. That was a great show. I appreciate it. Hey, hey, look, uh, you know, if I, I need someone to do HVAC, two and a half ton with ducks in the HVAC unit and uh, I pay 5,800. So instead of getting 40 phone calls, I only get a couple. But the couple I get are people who know how to do it for 5,800 and be profitable. Like maybe they're working for other investors and, you know, they know how to get in and out of the job quickly and efficiently so they can actually make money at that number. That's really, that's really great, uh, great insight. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Super cool. So, so let's get into this team of the show a little bit, right? So the show is real estate investing unscripted. As you know, you've done 1100 deals, right? Stuff happens. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear an example of, you know, something that happened maybe recently or something that was, you know, somewhat kind of uh, notable, if you will. Sounds like you're very process oriented. You're very, you're very into planning, right? But I think we all know, like, no matter how much you plan, there's going to be something that just happens that, like, you couldn't have, you couldn't have seen coming. Do you have, a, do you have a story there? Maybe you can share with us and kind of what you learned from it and how your business has has evolved because of that that event. Well, and I'm going to give you a general concept and yes, in one story, but the general concept that a, a nerd like me who's very analytical had to accept eventually is that there's no system or process that's going to encompass everything. So I realized I had to build variables into my math equation. And variables of things won't get done on time every time. There will be some budget overages, but how do we control them and keep them to a minimum? And when I did that, my life got less stressful, by the way, because me trying to make everything perfect on a rehab was almost what could have potentially could have drove me insane trying to trying to master that that dragon right that's not going to happen so now that i've built the variables in i've gotten really good at saying okay there obviously should only be about two variables and you know we don't want to be 10 10 comes from lack of management but funny story and this was a variable but uh about four months ago we had a house that we did really close to dc and uh Awful neighborhood, but you know, a mile from the DC line, so obviously very valuable. And we, we we were just about done, and this guy just walks in the house. I don't know if he used to live there or what it was, and he goes in the bathroom and just locks himself in the bathroom and like 
just start smoking crack, right? Like lighters going and the guys like my Spanish guy's like, I think he's smoking crack. And what do we do? And he's like, he's like, he's really scary looking. He was like really big guy. And I was like, I don't know what you do. I've never had that happen. So you talk about unscripted. Eventually they, uh, he did eventually, like they said they were calling the cops and then they kind of hid in their car and he eventually left. And so I'm now very nervous. Like, will this house sell? Like if people are just walking in the house and I just picked the wrong neighborhood, it's an awful neighborhood. And come to find out, I ended up getting 16 offers on the house and 35,000 over a list on it. Because even though it was an awful neighborhood, it was a mile from DC. And so for me, the big lesson was, is that, you know, for a neighborhood, it might not be perfect for me. It's still about desirability. And uh, that, that house ended up being like a 70K profit, which was unexpected. Had a lot to do with the fact we got 35K additional. Uh, and I was just hoping that during the time I was selling it, that that crazy guy would come back. Uh, it was it was it was nuts, but yeah. So we, you, we run into stuff like that all the time. You know, inspectors coming and changing things, people not showing up. Sometimes our contractors getting deported. Uh, it's just a you know the variables are always there, and how we handle them is the only thing we can really control. Yep, yep. That's uh, one thing about this business that I think I like the most is it's uh, it's never boring. You know, and when we hire people here, it's like you know we can't promise you a whole lot, but we can promise you will not be bored. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. I'm going to actually take that and remember that because you're right. Sometimes when we get in our negative space, we're like, oh man, this sucks. And yeah, I had a friend of mine who was highly positive and he's like, Mike, you get the opportunity to fix this. He's like, you're such a great problem solver. This must be so much fun for you. I'm like, you're a little too positive. I was actually thinking the opposite of like, what in the F? And he's like, no, you get the opportunity to solve this problem. And that's your thing. You're so good at it. And I was like, all right, man, I'm glad you're a friend. You're so awesome. Yeah, this is this is a helpful way. There's two ways to look at everything, right? Uh, you can, we can choose to be uh, see the bad or see the good. That's, uh, that's cool. You got it. Exactly. It'll be exciting always for sure. So talk to us a little bit about your podcast and you know, more generally, if, if people are interested in, in getting a hold of you or learning more about kind of your journey and what you're up to, um, what's the best way to, to do that? So podcast is the flip factor, uh, flip factor podcast. And we just talk about a lot of stuff around like contracting, finding deals, you know, the main things, wholesaling stuff, you know, all the ways that you, most people are making money. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to come check that out, just go to the flip factor and Apple and all the different places. Uh, also, if anybody wants to get a hold of me directly, uh, my email is Mike at the flip And, uh, you know, love to hear from anyone. Awesome. So check it out, guys. The flip factor, a lot of things it sounds like to learn from from Mike. I'm going to tune in because I picked up picked up on some things here just in our short conversation. So I'm um, going to summarize some things and we'll get you out of here. Really appreciate the time, Mike. So I, I, I think kind of I pulled four or five things out of here. The, the first one, which is super interesting to me that you mentioned early on is partnerships. How important those are. I, I believe in partnerships a lot and couldn't agree more with you around this idea of finding folks that complement your strengths, right? Um, and, and I also liked what you said about, you know, your first, your first, I think, kind of significant partnership. You guys got married. You went, you went all in on each other and kind of kept it exclusive versus how your, your mind, mindset has shifted over time more into kind of like, hey, let's date and maybe date multiple people because there's a lot that you have to offer, but also um, a lot of things that you can learn from other folks just depending on, on what you're trying to, trying to accomplish. And um, I also liked what you said about your journey towards mastery, right? It's never, there's no destination. Toward, in the journey towards mastery, I think, right? Like you're always on it. That's, that's kind of cool. Um, the other thing that I, that I, that I, I loved, I think if, if there's anything to, to take away here that's super tangible for listeners is this idea of if you're flipping business, you're running a construction business, right? Like it's important is to find leads. Like the money's made or lost in a lot of ways on how well you can manage the flip, 
right? Like find a good property. If you, if you botch the flip, like all the money you made on that great acquisition can get swept away, I think pretty quickly. So that's, I think a super tangible thing for people to take a hold of and, and particularly around setting pricing, going to Craigslist, spending as much time as you are on acquisition, also building your, your Rolodex around folks that can, can execute. Um, the last one I, I love too is right. The, 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 this idea of control what you can sh- control, but also understand the variables and try to minimize those variables so that, you know, as things do change, you don't go absolutely insane. Um, they're somewhat expected and you know how to know how to deal with them. I think that's uh, super smart. Anything, you, anything else you want to leave us with Mike? No, man, that was awesome, man. You're a great listener. I'm glad you're taking notes or you got the best memory I've ever seen. But no, thank you so much for letting me on the show. And it was really great time. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, again, check it out. Flip Factor. Email Mike at The Flip Factor. Um, thank you all for listening to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Check out more great resources or to get funding for your next project, head on over to fundnetflip.com. Otherwise, look forward to next time. Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off. <music>